This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello and welcome to this week's Techno podcast. My name is Neil Sparks. I'm the National Manager SMSF Strategy at BT Financial Group and part of the BT Technical Services team. A group of qualified individuals who are available to assist you with any advice, technical and strategy related queries you may have. In this week's podcast, I will take a closer look at some of the unique contribution opportunities available to SMSFs and run through some tips and traps that advisors need to be aware of. I'll firstly start by looking at some of the work test reforms that were implemented from the 1st of July 2022. So if you're under the age of 75, you no longer need to meet the work test to make non-concessional super contributions, including receiving spouse contributions and making contributions through salary sacrifice. If you want to claim a tax deduction for any personal superannuation contributions, you'll still need to meet the work test if you're aged between 67 and 74. So from 1 July 2022, the work test has been moved from the CIS contribution acceptance rules and transferred to the Tax Act. This means that the ATO will take over and administer the work test at the time you lodge your income tax return. This expands the contribution age to under age 75 is a golden opportunity for advisors to engage their client base, uh, looking at opportunities to reduce taxable components or equalise account balances between spouses for transfer balance cap purposes, using a series of cash out and recontribution strategies. If you want to know more about these opportunities, go to the BT Academy and watch episode 55, which looks at contribution strategies, and alternatively, episode 59, which looks at personal deductible contributions. So today, I wanted to look at some of the unique contribution opportunities available to SMSFs. Um, To start, we need to consider the what the when and the how of contributions. So looking at what is a contribution, how is a contribution made, and when is a contribution made. So if we start with what is a contribution, Tax Ruling 2010-1 tells us that a contribution is anything of value that increases the capital of a superannuation fund that's provided by a person whose purpose is to benefit one or more particular members of the fund or all members in general. And how is a contribution made? The capital of a super fund may be increased directly by transferring funds to the SMSF, transferring an existing asset to the SMSF, so an in-specie contribution, creating rights in the SMSF, or increasing the value of an existing asset held by the SMSF. And I'll look at these in a bit more detail shortly. The capital of a super fund can also be increased indirectly, and you do this by paying an amount to a third party for the benefit of the SMSF. So for example, the member paying an expense of the fund personally and not claiming it back from the SMSF would be an example of an indirect contribution. Uh, Forgiving a debt owed by the SMSF, so another example here might be that you work for an accounting firm uh, and the accounting firm doesn't charge a fee to the related SMSF for completing its annual lodgement. So that could be an example of forgiving a debt and that can also trigger the NALI provisions which we'll talk about later on. Shifting value to an asset owned by an SMSF is also another way of indirectly creating a contribution. The best example there I can think of would be where a related tenant makes uh, improvement to a property that is owned by the the self-managed super fund. 
So now let's take a look at when is a contribution made. So a superannuation fund's capital is commonly increased by transferring funds to the SMSF and as a general rule the contribution will be made when the funds are received by the SMSF. So the following examples summarise some of the ways that funds are transferred and when the contribution is made. So if you're making a cash payment or an electronic transfer to the SMSF, the contribution is made when the cash is received by the self-managed super fund. If a related party is issuing a promissory note to the SMSF and the note is paid with cash or an electronic equivalent, the contribution is made when the note is received, so long as payment is demanded promptly and the note is honoured. So the example I would give here is if, it, if June 30th fell on a Saturday afternoon uh, and the members suddenly realised they hadn't made a contribution to super and they know that their SMSF bank account is with another provider and that the money wouldn't be received by the bank account until overnight. So making a cash payment or electronic payment won't work because the funds won't be received um, by the SMSF account by the end of June 30. So the option here is to make a promissory note uh, or draft a cheque that they provide to the trustees. So to get a proper paper trail, the situation would be that the members um, resolve to make a promissory note. The trustees have a meeting on the Saturday afternoon to accept the promissory note and the contribution from the member. Uh, and then of course, they present that promissory note for payment as um, early as possible, uh, promptly, uh, for that demand for the payment to be made. In that situation, uh, it's viewed that the contribution would have been made effective June 30th, as opposed to when the funds hit the SMSF bank account, which might be um, July the 2nd or 3rd, for example. Now the ATO guidance tells us that if the payment is demanded promptly and the example that's given is a few business days then that promissory note would be honoured. Where the payment isn't prop promptly sought uh, on a personal cheque or promissory note then the contribution will be made when the payment of cash is received. So we've got that situation where June 30 falls on a Saturday night, um, the promissory note is given for the contribution to be made on June 30th, uh, on the Monday or the Tuesday, so within a few business days, um, the member uh, cashes that promissory note by transferring the money from their personal account to the SMSF account. It's received the day after that, so say as late as Wednesday. Um, that would be considered that the contribution was made on June 30. If the member and the trustees didn't act on it and it went beyond that few business days perhaps into the next week it then could be argued by the commissioner um, that the contribution was made by the on the date the funds were received by the SMSF bank account let's just say that's July the 7th or 8th uh, and therefore that's when the contribution was deemed to be made not the date of the promissory note. So it's important if we're using a promissory note for a contribution that we back it up with the actual administration of the contribution and the payment to the fund bank account promptly afterwards.
Let's talk about in-specie contributions. So what is in-specie? It's when we're transferring an asset um, for no value into the self-managed super fund uh, and the contribution is made when the SMSF acquires the beneficial ownership of the asset. So beneficial, not legal. So the example here is when making an in-specie contribution of business real property, the SMSF acquires the beneficial ownership of the real property when the SMSF has the completed transfer documents ready for registration and transfer of the title to the SMSF as the legal owner, not when the transfer has been completed. Um, so the example again would be that if we were able to complete all that documentation on Saturday June 30th, that would be the date that the beneficial ownership transferred to the self-managed super fund and the fact that the conveyancer or solicitor and the lands titles office in your relevant state might have taken a week or two afterwards um, for the legal transfer to take place, the contribution could still be counted at June 30th as opposed to that date of legal transfer. Uh, the same pretty much applies for listed securities. So if the SMSF acquires the beneficial ownership of shares or units in an ASX listed company or unit trust um, when the SMSF obtains the properly executed off-market transfer forms, um, so the uh, Australian Standard Transfer Forms in our case, in registrable form. So they have to be uh, completed properly, so the right buyer, the right seller, signed by the seller, signed by the buyer, and if you've got that situation all in place on that Saturday afternoon and handed to the trustees of the self-managed super fund, then you would have a situation where the contribution took place on June 30th, as opposed to um, after settlement in T plus two or three a few days later. So really important that you've got the uh, a great document trail, so that evidence to precisely identify when that change of beneficial ownership occurs, uh, if you are required to argue that date of contribution from a change of beneficial ownership to one of legal ownership. Um, so what are some of the other things to be aware of when making in-specie contributions? The ones that jump out to me of course is section 66, the acquisition of assets from related party rules, uh, section 71, the in-house asset rules, and of course the NALI rules, the non-arms length income or non-arms length expenditure rules in the Income Tax Act. So we firstly take a look at section 66, uh, which prohibits an SMSF trustee from intentionally, sorry, intentionally acquiring assets from a related party. Now that definition of a related party is broad and it includes any member of the SMSF, their relatives or partnerships and companies or trusts that any of these people control. There are a couple of exceptions, and those exceptions are listed securities acquired at market value, uh, business real property acquired at market value, or certain in-house assets also acquired at market value, and the acquisition doesn't result in the fund breaching the in-house asset rules or 5% limit. Uh, when acquiring assets from a related party, as we said before, it's important to ensure that the transaction is undertaken on an arm's length basis and always at market value. Again, if the asset is acquired for less than market value, then you are at risk of triggering those gnarly issues, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Let's quickly talk about in-house assets. Uh, an in-house asset of the SMSF is an investment in a related party, a loan to a related party, or a lease of an SMSF, 
SMSF asset to a related party. And these, the in-house asset exemption also allows an SMSF to invest up to 5% of the fund's assets in certain in-house assets without breaching Section 66, that prohibition on acquisition of assets from related parties. The 5% ratio is reassessed at the end of every financial year and the limit must be maintained. Where it's exceeded, there must be a plan to bring it back under the limit uh, and that plan will need to be made and implemented by the end of the following financial year. So a good example of an in-house asset is unlisted shares in a private company. So the company is related, so it's controlled by a member or their related parties. And this is a really common question that the tech services team receive. So these are in-house assets and therefore the SMSF can acquire the shares from the member at market value. However, it cannot acquire an amount more than 5% of the market value of the SMSF. If the private company is unrelated, i.e. it's not a controlled company by the member or their related parties, then these shares are not an in-house asset and the SMSF cannot acquire the shares from the member. The in-house asset provisions are complex and a detailed analysis of the asset ownership and use should be undertaken prior to any acquisition by the SMSF. So now let's take a look at the non-arm's length income uh, rules. So NALI, what is NALI? In the first instance it's non-arm's length income. The NALI provisions apply where an SMSF derived income under a scheme where the amount of income received is more than the SMSF might have received if the parties had been dealing with each other at arm's length. Then we have non-arm's length expenditure or NALI and the NALI rules also extend to a loss, outgoing or expenditure which is less than what would be expected if the parties were dealing at arm's length or if the SMSF does not incur a loss, outgoing or expenditure that they might have incurred had they been dealing with each other at arm's length. The impact of NALI is significant because the taxable income of an SMSF, which is normally taxed at 15%, um, but the non-arm's length component or NALI component will be taxed at the top marginal tax rate of 45%. So how does a NALI apply to an SMSF contribution? The ATO state in LCR 2021-2 that where a complying super fund purchases an asset at less than market value, all of the income from that asset will be assessed as NALI, and this includes the future capital gain. So in situations where the contract between the SMSF and the seller of an asset uh, is clear that the asset is being purchased by the fund, the difference between the amount paid by the SMSF and the market value of the asset purchased under the contract cannot be satisfied by an in-specie contribution made by the member. So for example, if I sell my commercial property to my SMSF at market value and the purchase is partly funded by cash from my SMSF and the remainder by an in-species super contribution and my SMSF administrator simply makes a journal entry for the in-species contribution, it can be determined that NALI has been invoked as the property was not purchased at full market value. The way around this is to use an in-specie contribution in conjunction with the SMSF purchasing part of an asset where the contract makes it clear the fund is only acquiring part of the asset. <laughs> 
and that doesn't sound like much of a difference but the example here is using the earlier situation is that the SMSF purchases 50% of the commercial property and that amount is specified in the contract and the remaining 50% is contributed in specie by the member. If you use this process, then the income earned by the SMSF is not gnarly and nor is any subsequent capital gain on disposal. Just something for advisors to be aware of. Um, we have to talk about digital assets and cryptocurrencies and how they fit in the new landscape. The latest ATO statistics for June 2022 show there's been $1.37 billion invested in cryptocurrency assets by SMSFs. So this has grown five times since June 2020. Now, interestingly, if we look at the definitions, an asset is defined as any form of property. Money is excluded for Section 66. But collectible coins, banknotes, are assets in their own right and not money for the purpose of Section 66. So cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin are also not money, according to the ATO. The other digital asset, the non-fungible token, we need to consider. So a non-fungible token is a cryptographic asset that is held on a blockchain with a unique identification code and metadata that distinguishes them from each other. So an NFT can't be replica replicated and can represent real-world items like artwork and real estate. So an SMSF may be able to purchase an NFT, however, they can be even more complicated than a cryptocurrency purchase. So crypto and other digital assets are not a form of money, they're a capital gains tax asset. So this tells us that crypto assets cannot be acquired from a related party and members can't make <coughs> excuse me, in-specie contributions or other transfers of crypto assets to their SMSF. There are resources available to you. There's an ATO guidance, uh, SMSF Investing in Crypto Assets, that was produced in June 2022, and that's definitely worth a read. There's lots to think about when advising SMSFs and the opportunities that the changes to the contribution rules have created. So in closing, please remember if you have any questions on these or other advice strategy questions for your clients, you can call our BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or email the team at technical you can also join us for our regularly regular fortnightly BT Academy webinar series where we discuss all things technical and regulatory in the financial advice space. Our next session is scheduled for Wednesday, November 9th when Brian Ashenden will be presenting our next webinar titled A Problem Shared. In this session, Brian will look at a range of ethical barriers that if not identified can stand in the way of sound ethical decision making. Uh, with the use of case studies we will see that the sound of silence should be ignored in ethics. To register for the session or to view any of our previous webinars which are available on demand, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. All our webinars qualify for CPD points. So until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news.
This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.